Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now I have uh, on the line uh, an, a, a, a former high-level aide to uh, to the president and also to the secretary of the treasury, a, a, a friend of mine, and a guy who represented me as a lawyer also. Um, he is uh, a Brian Morgenstern, and he has a very, very interesting book out about a somewhat different White House story in the in the in the in the Reagan White House. Brian, how are you? Mayor, it's great to be with you. I share your despair at our Yankees performance, but it is always great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. So tell us about the book. Tell us about the, it's a very interesting book, a very interesting premise, and I think people are going to love this book. I appreciate it. So it's called Vignettes and Vino. It is actually available in stores tomorrow. You can order it right now on Amazon at Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's called Vignettes and Vino, Dinner Table Stories from the Trump White House with Recipes <laughs> and Cocktail Pairings. So my <laughs> wife and I both worked for President Trump I know that. Uh, yep. at, towards the end of the administration, and we had all these interesting experiences dealing with these household names like President Trump, the vice president, the coronavirus task force and all the doctors that you saw on TV, uh, events with sports legends like Mariano Rivera, um, all kinds of interesting experiences at the White House. And we wanted to share them. It's not your typical political book. It's not, uh, you know, too much of a gossip rag. We don't go after too many people, although they're <laughs> negative stories, I will say. But it's mostly supposed to be uplifting and, and interesting. We just wanted to share our, our, our experiences. And we put a recipe and a cocktail with each story. So it's useful, too. And and the reason for the recipe and the cocktail, Brian, yes, does it does it so, fit? Does it fit with a particular uh, 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 story? Yes, we found a, a tie-in with each one. Um, for example, I we have a steak sandwich. Yeah, give us an example. There. Yeah, so the clubhouse steak sandwich is a great new uh, way of doing a steak sandwich with medallions and champagne vinaigrette. Really interesting flavors. We paired that with a story where we were at President Trump's golf club. Uh, and we know he loves steak, so we made the clubhouse steak sandwich, and so that's how we paired that up. I have another one where I was with Secretary Mnuchin, Secretary of the Treasury, and we were doing a morning interview with Squawk Box on CNBC, and we were preparing for it over breakfast. So we have a great breakfast sandwich recipe that we paired with that story. So each one has a little tie-in. Uh, and it just makes the book more useful, more interesting, and uh, really a one-stop shop for a dinner party. You've got crazy stories, and at the, the and at the same time, interesting stories about uh, let's let's say an unusual White House. I mean, like, they were all unusual in one way or another, but the Trump White House was a particularly exciting one. Um, I, I I was gonna I I was gonna I I thought your book should be called something like you know uh, Love in the Time of Persecution. <laughs> you and your and your wife are a love story, really, right? Well, that is true. We we met uh, right when she was about to start a job in the administration, and I had started my job in the administration. And then we found our way to the White House around the same time. Ended up, uh, we got engaged while we worked at the White House. Yeah, I know that. I mean, that's a, that, yeah. 
And of course, the anti-Trumpers would never believe that people could fall in love in the Trump White House. Oh, my God. I mean, that was that was like Dante's fifth level of hell. (laughs) <laughs> right. I mean, how can you fall in love when you're both growing horns? And now you're your trying head. to hurt, just do anything you can to hurt the American people. I mean, just sitting there every day trying to figure out what can I do. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> right. you also, I mean, the amazing thing about the Trump White House that will always amaze me is with all of the persecution and then the pandemic and everything else, the amount that was accomplished. I, I mean, I, yeah. I I used to tell them that I thought if the pressure were taken off from He'd probably be a failure, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. But- I-, I wondered if they, if the investigation had ended, I wonder if he would be as effective. I mean, he was remarkable. Because I would go there and I'd spend sometimes, you know, take up two or three of his hours during the day, but in between it, he'd be figuring out what to do about North Korea and what to do about inflation and what to do about all the problems he prevented that Biden has now given us. That's true. And, and, you know, one of the great things about President Trump, I, I think what created a lot of that pressure, of course, is that he was unconventional. He wasn't part of the swamp. He didn't, he didn't follow the rules of the bureaucrats in Washington, which, which led to even more attacks on him. But that was also one of the great things about his administration and how we were able to get so much done because we didn't subscribe to conventional wisdom. Uh, if we had, I don't think we would have gotten the tax cuts bill through. 100%. Which led to unprecedentedly low unemployment rates for all Americans, African-Americans, Asians, Hispanics, women, for everyone. Everyone was doing better because we passed that bill. It wouldn't have happened if we didn't have the proverbial bull in a china shop, President Trump, making Congress uh, take action, really. Um, he, of course, uh, did a great job on the border. That was something that no other Republicans the what? to have the will the what? to attack it on the border. We, we have a border? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we used it. You mean the one we used to have? <laughs> the one that exists in theory. Exactly. Yes, right, in theory. It's, right. it's on a map. At least. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brian, you did a great job. I, I saw you many, many times there under... Times when either you were under pressure or I was under pressure and, but you've always, always kept your balance and, and sanity and, 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 and tremendous common sense. You're also one hell of a lawyer. So the best to you, your wife and, and, uh, let's get vignettes and vino. I mean, I, I think something like that would be wonderful to read to get a different kind of, kind of look at the White House, which was quite human, like they all are. And you're quite a guy. Thanks, Brian. I, I really thank you for your kind words. It's so great to talk to you. And it's I great. Really appreciate Miss you. It. We'll see you soon. That 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 uh, that man was my uh, lawyer uh, for three or four years in a case that uh, that I had and um, did very well in because of him. And uh, then he uh, he moved on to the White House where he worked both with the Secretary of the Treasury, who he mentioned, Secretary Mnuchin, and with the President, and uh, was an economic advisor and. Um, and then did and then did uh, 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 a good deal of press work because, as you can tell, he's a very, very articulate, um, very articulate man and and person. And um, they need when they needed when they needed reinforcements in the press office. Brian came in and was quite a reinforcement. Uh, so let's see. Uh, what about uh, what about Rob in? Sea caucus. Hello, everybody. 
How are you, Rob? Hey, listeners. Hi, hi, Rudy. Congratulations. There were no sharp objects or projectiles in the room last night. <laughs> well, the Giants kind of made up for it a little with that crazy win they had. But So how you doing, Rob? I'm doing well, doing well, thank you. My, my cousin Vinny calls me last night in the middle of the game, um, and he, he, he made a comment. He said I should bring up to you. There was one other. I'm calling about another uh, thing on, on early voting, but let me, let me hit this one first, is that he notices that like the, front, the, the home team advantage seems to be like this. It, 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 not, it doesn't seem to be much of a home team advantage where people are usually very supportive in the audience, and Vinny, he was noticing that in the front seats especially – where you usually have like the corporate guys who put their family and friends up in the in, in, up at the front, and he says there's really nobody there and nobody's emotional and nobody's getting into it in the game. It was just an observation he made. He he was wondering if you if you thought that there was any credibility to that. Yeah, there is. I, I think so. The, the, the people watching the game with me noted it also uh, that they were empty. Now it was true in the early innings they were emptier because Yankee fans and Met fans too are notoriously late for games, but it remained that way. Now I would say last night maybe had a couple of excuses, but it was true the night before too. And last night's excuses are uh, so, some of these fair weather fans probably gave up when they were down 3-0. It was also risk risking, you know, getting a little wet wet on your head. Um and then those seats are darn expensive. So if any seats are going to be empty, it's going to be those because people can't afford them. Uh, and, um, and, and if the corporate types who, who, you know, sometimes have them to have them rather than because they're really dedicated baseball fans, uh, they, they really, they really have to figure out how you put those seats and more of them in the hands of dedicated fans rather than corporate types who use them, you know, to show off or, or to sell things or whatever. But you, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and, uh, I mean, part of it is the way they played too. I mean, the, the few times they ignited, the few times, like at the very beginning of the game, when Beto let off with a hit, which was exactly what you had to do, uh, they were excited. But uh, the, the Yankees played a very dispirited baseball, uh, and Bader came ready to play, but it's hard to find others that did. A tough, 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 tough on New York fans with the Yankees and the Mets both going out after having 100-win seasons. they got to look back if they they ever had a 100-win season both in the same season. Maybe when they went to the World Series. I don't think the Mets had 100 wins that year. I'm not even sure the Yankees did. The Yankees had 100 wins a year or two before that. But we'll take a look and see. And I mean, and by and large, historically, the Yankees and the Mets have been good at different times, which is why they only ended up in the World Series one time, or really only a few times, kind of like headed for the World Series. Uh, the, the Mets, when the Mets were really good and had their you know a couple of championship teams, the, the Yankees were were sort of middling and and vice versa. But right now, they both look like they're pretty solid. I mean, the Yankees will compete next year, and so will the Mets. The Mets were just too good not to compete again next next year. We're going to take a break now and come back with the mayor's final words.